Everyone get your nodos in the back by the coffee. Personally, I wish, um, you know, one Sunday we just do this. We just fellowship with each other and not have to listen to, uh, to me. But because um, that's what the church is all about, right? It's about loving on each other, getting to know each other and be a blessing. Um, it's good to be here this morning, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. Man, the worship, you guys were awesome. Really uh, touched me this morning. Um, I want to thank a, a lot of the people that have come up to me today and uh, just encouraged me. Um, that's just good stuff, you know? <clears throat> Especially when you haven't had that in a while, when you usually are getting beat up. <laughs> so it's good to, uh, to be encouraged. Um, I want to thank my identical twin, Eric. For um, let, let me, my other brother Daryl. Um, you know, a lot of people get us mixed up, so I tried to comb my hair a little bit differently today, so you guys would be able to tell the difference and tell us apart. So after the sermon, you know, you go up to me, and not him. But um, I really do appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak in this series of identity uh, through the letter of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is my favorite letter out of the New Testament. Um, it's very dear to me. It speaks a lot to me. So Eric asked me to cover chapter 4, verses uh, 1 through 10. I'm probably going to talk fast, and I'm sorry, because i got a lot to cover. And I'm, I'm, I try to condense it down, and then Eric kind of threw a curveball when we talk about gifts. and um, So we should be done by 1. Um, <laughs> But, um, so what I want to do, if you do feel yourself kind of falling off and nodding off, because where I used to preach, you know, it was only about 25, 30 people, and the average age was about 75 to 80, and they generally fell asleep. So in order to avoid that, I'm going to ask you, if you see someone that you're sitting next to or in front of you, lick your finger and just stick it in their ear if they're starting to fall asleep, all right? I think we can help keep people engaged a little bit more uh, that way. So if I see, you know, they might be going into a Holy Spirit coma, so you just want to wake them up out of that and let them pay attention. I think Eric and, and Jeff have done an amazing job of covering the first three chapters. Amen? But I'm going to talk about the first three chapters because <laughs> I think it's vital in this letter. Paul, in chapter 4, is getting ready to make a transition from everything that God has done for us in Christ. Now in chapter 4, he pivots and he's going to change because of what Christ has done for you and who we are in Christ. He tells us, now go and walk in a way that will give honor and glory to God. So it's important that we hold on and and remember the therefore. He starts off, verse 1, He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance towards one another in love. The therefore is at the beginning, which means there was a before or because of. So Paul in the first three chapters lays out this beautiful 
vision of God and how God looks at us and what God has done for us. Freely, he has given us his love and his grace in Christ Jesus. Amen? I'm just going to... I. I ask for amens every now and then, not just to keep you awake, for one, and see if we're in agreement with this, for two. I really don't want to re-preach it, but I do feel it's important because Paul really stresses it here. Because he goes into the remaining of the letter to talk about how we walk and how we live out our life with our families, in church life, and in the world because of the therefore. And I know those scriptures in chapter 1 through 3. I know them up here. But getting them to here sometimes seems like a huge chasm. It's just to hold on to it. It goes, it comes and goes. Anyone have that problem, right? We get a little bit older. We've grown up with some of these verses and, and we understand them. But when we go through rough times in our life, we start questioning God in our walk with him. So if you've ever struggled in your walk with the Lord, if you've ever doubted your relationship with God, if you ever find yourself wondering about your salvation, if you ever feel unworthy, undeserving of God's love, if you don't know your purpose or who you are, if you feel you don't have strength to carry on and to keep on fighting the good fight, if you ever feel yourself losing hope because of things that are happening into your life, if you're ever feeling unloved and unwanted, and alone, I want to encourage you. Read the first three chapters of Ephesians. That will change your mindset and your heart. I deal with a lot of broken people every single day. And they don't have hope. And they don't know who they are. And they feel alone and abandoned. So I just tell them, read the first three chapters of Ephesians. God will change your heart and your mind. In these chapters, you find your identity of who you are in Christ and just how God really looks at you. Not how you look at yourself, not how others look at you, because oftentimes our outlook on ourselves and of others is tainted because of the hurt and pain that we've gone through and some of the mistakes that we've made. Anyone make any mistakes this Sunday? If you don't raise your hand, come forward this Sunday. Oh, you don't have to come forward right now. Wait till after the lesson, okay? We all know you need to come forward, but you can. But I want you to be able to grasp how God really looks at you and feels about you. So the therefore in chapter 4 is a result of what Paul has reminded us. I want to look at some of those things very quickly because it's important that we get it from here to here. He says just in chapter 1 that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does everything mean? Everything. There's nothing that is left out. God is giving us every single spiritual blessing we need for us. He's chosen us in Christ. He's called us. You are not a mistake in Christ. You're here because he's called you through the Holy Spirit. He makes us holy and blameless in Christ. I don't know about you, but that just blows me away because I know my sin. I know my shortcomings. I know I can be a knothead at times. But yet God looks at me as holy and blameless. This is how God sees you. Not how you see yourself or how others see you or how you're feeling. God says you're holy 
and blameless. He says, I'm going to adopt you as my sons and my daughters, your family. In him we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. We had a debt that we needed to pay, but we couldn't pay it, and so he paid it through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he says, you're in Christ. You're redeemed. Then he says, you have an inheritance sealed by the Holy Spirit, eternal life. We've been marked by the Holy Spirit saying, this is my son and my daughter. And we have hopes and riches. I don't know about you. I didn't, I didn't get much of an inheritance when I was a kid. When my dad passed away, my brothers went and saw him and he had 10 cases of Meister Brew light beer. That's the only thing he had in his house that was worth anything. I'm serious. That was my inheritance. When my mom passed away, we fought over the morphine pump because she had a morphine pump. We were just going to fill it up afterwards and tell the doctor, don't worry about it. She's a little stiff today and sell it on eBay. That was because, you know, that was the only inheritance I was going to get. But Christ, God's given us inheritance in Christ of eternal life. He says, you're mine and no one can take that away from you. We have hope in the riches in Christ. We have power and strength. When you're feeling weak, you call upon his power and his strength, not yours. He says it's about God, isn't it? Folks, that's just chapter 1. Paul's just getting warmed up because in chapter 2, he says we were dead in our sins, but he made us alive. Not knowing where we're going, what we were doing, headed for hell. And he says, I'm going to make you alive in Christ. And then I'm going to seat you at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to seat you in the heavenly places that we have throne room access with God. That we can talk to him and tell him our cares and our concerns. And he will what? He will listen and he will answer. Amen? The Hebrew writer says that, let us go to the throne room with boldness and with confidence because we have Jesus who knows us and who will help us in our time of need. He's created us for good works. We don't do the good works to earn God's love. It is because of his love and grace. And we're going to talk about some good works. We're going to talk about using our gifts and talents and abilities down the road. But today, God wants you to know that he has a purpose. And that purpose is his purpose purpose. We are his co-workers. He wants you to walk alongside him for his eternal plan. He says we were strangers. We were separated from God. We were hostile towards him. We had no hope, no promise. The barrier of sin kept us separated from God. But in Christ, in Christ, he's brought us near to him. He says, I want you to have this intimate relationship with the heavenly father. I want you to know that you can go to him and call him Abba, Father. And call him Daddy. And not only that, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That his presence is with you and in you. I feel like I should get a little Pentecostal here right now, but we're just going to um, bring it. I've got to have a hanky, though. So. <laughs> he says we've been reconciled. We've been brought back to God. We have open access with him. He says we're citizens and we're saints. And when he calls us saints, I got to tell you, when I look over the room, I know some of you, saint is not the first word that comes into my mind, right? <laughs> Just telling you. I, I promise I wouldn't mention any da- names. Uh, I won't. I won't. I, I won't say anything about Bill Nelson this morning, okay? I just want to let you know that. But we've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. 
He covers us. He washes away our sin. And not just when we believed, and not when we were just baptized into Christ, because He doesn't care about our past. He only cares about our present and our future. And His blood continues to cleanse us as we try to walk day by day by faith in Him. And we're not in and out of a relationship with Him. We're not on a teeter-totter. Well, I did good today. Oh, I didn't do good, so good today. Am I okay with you, God? He says, you're my son and my daughter. I re- removed your sins. I remember them no more. You're mine. Should I go on? I think I should because Paul does in chapter 3. Right? He's just warming up. He's given us riches, not just little riches. He says unfathomable riches in Christ. There's nothing too big or overwhelming that God cannot help you with or help you through. Amen? You think you're poor? We are rich beyond measure. The things that we have, the things that we want, the things that we see will go away, will rust and be destroyed. But what God gives us in Christ is eternal and glorious. I know as I'm getting older, this body is breaking down. Hard to believe, but yes, it is. I know I won't always be this chiseled, okay? But God's going to replace this body. He's going to give me a glorious body. One that will not decay. One that will not get old, will not get cancer. Will not have aches and pains. And so he gives us hope. And no one can take that away from you. No one can take that eternal life from you. No one can take that forgiveness away from you. And no one else can give you the love and the peace and the comfort and His presence except for Jesus Christ. Amen? And to top this off, and this is amazing to me because He says, I want to make you part of my eternal plan to bring hope to a lost world, to a world that is divided. He says, I want you church. And who's the church? We're the church. Right? He says, Church, I want the manifold of wisdom of God to be made known through you and through me. That's God's eternal plan. A bunch of knuckleheads, right? People who make mistakes all the time, but God says, you're mine. You're in Christ. You're holy. You're blameless. And he's entrusting this to us to take it to a broken world that doesn't know him, that don't know who they are, and that is divided to bring hope. Each of us are broken. Each of us are unqualified. Each of us are unworthy. We're weak in so many ways. So how can this be? This is the good news. It's not about you. This is why Paul closes out a section of his letter in prayer. That we would come to know. And that knowing is not just the intellectual knowledge of knowing book, chapter, verse, and be able to repeat a few scriptures. That knowledge is he wants you to know, to really experience just how much God loves you. It's embracing this love in our hearts that allows us to truly see and everything that God has done for us despite ourselves that passes all knowledge. Because it just doesn't make sense. When you look in the mirror and you know your faults, and you put your head down at the end of the day and you know that it wasn't the day that you really wanted to have or planned out or the way you wanted to be, right? Anyone like that? But you remind yourself that he loves you with an everlasting love. 
and he gave his son for you because you didn't have the day that you wanted to have or should have been. Paul says, I want you to know, I want you to know just how high the length, the depth, and the width of my love for you. Because it is so immense. So much so that when we ask him, he is more than willing and able to give us what we ask him. That's how much he loves us. He says he will give us more than what we can think and what we can imagine. Not because we deserve it, but because this is how much he loves us. And the reason he wants to give us those things so that we can be a blessing to one another, to his church, and to a lost world. So that we will go out and tell a world just how amazing God is. Amen? So Paul says, therefore. Therefore, live in such a way that reflects God's love and grace for you. Honor God with the way that you live your life. This does not, if this doesn't move your heart, those first three chapters, don't move your heart. Nothing's going to move your heart to want to walk towards God. Right? Don't just read the words. Pray about them. Meditate on them. Take them in to how much God really loves you. And sometimes when we become, when we've been Christians for a long time, we take that for granted. I just got to remind myself sometimes and just get away and just remember just how much God loves me and how he has shown me his love and his grace. And then when my irritability (laughs) gets up, I just got to remember that. When my hurts and resentments and bitterness start raising their head, I got to remember God loves me. Because it just doesn't make sense. We do not deserve it. We did not earn it. And we cannot sustain it on our own. It is simply the reckless love of God. So Paul says, therefore. Our response comes from a place of gratitude and thankfulness and not from a place where we have earned it. Our response is to His amazing love and to His amazing grace because He loved us through Christ. We don't walk worthy in order to have God love us, but because He loved us. So we walk in a manner that's going to give glory to Him. It's critical in the way we walk that gives honor to God because we can have all kinds of gifts and talents and abilities and be covered by the blood of Jesus, but if we're not walking in a way that gives honor to God, the world is not going to listen to what we have to say. People respond to words, but what really speaks to you and to me is when they see our words lived out in the midst of a broken world. When they see us trusting God, when they see us united together and loving on each other and praying for each other in the midst of problems in a world. And they say, how do you do that? I said, well, because we've been loved by God and He continues to love us. They need not only to hear our words, but they also need to see our words on how we walk each and every day. So let's walk in such a way that glorifies God so that God will allow us to use the gifts and the talents he has given us for his kingdom. We walk in humility. This is how I want you to walk in front of the world. I want you to walk humbly before others. The Greek word actually is a word coined by Christians. In the Greek, there was no word for humility. 
Before Christianity, humility was not counted as a virtue at all. Matter of fact, it was looked upon, it was looked down upon that you were weak, that you were cowering, that you had no self-respect. And then Jesus comes along and he says, I came to serve and not to be served. Paul tells us that he came humbly and he emptied himself to become a slave. The Hebrew writer tells us that he made himself as one of us so that he could understand what we're going through, the struggles and the pain and the temptations. So he humbled himself, seated on the throne of God, and then now he comes down and becomes a servant for you and for me. Christian humility comes from our self-knowledge. It is not a virtue by which man becomes his own conscience, unworthiness, and the true knowledge of himself. We understand where we came from. We understand our lostness. And I think this is what drove Paul to preach the gospel. Because he understood where he came from. I'm the chief of what? Sinners. I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. He understood his lostness, but he didn't stay there. He didn't say, oh, wretched sinner that I am and, and just stay wretched. Because he's the one that wrote the first three chapters of Ephesians. I don't know if he went back and reread the letter that he wrote to the Ephesians, you know, to get up, but he knew what God had done for him despite of who he was. And Jesus says it this way, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's an understanding where you stand before God when it comes to your righteousness and God's righteousness, that we are completely broke. He's not talking about poor in money. He's talking about poor in spirit that you got absolutely nothing. Your complete dependency on your salvation and your relationship with God is not dependent upon your good works or how much you've done, but completely dependent upon God's love and upon His grace. That's what it means to walk humbly, that you know you need God and you cannot make it without God. Amen? And sometimes that gets hard because we like to be in charge. We kind of like to dictate how things should be. And sometimes it's hard for us to humble ourselves before Him and before others. Sometimes Christians can become arrogant and judgmental because we're saved and we are trying to live differently. We, we try to live better than others. And so we can judge others when they're not walking the way that we should be walking. And so we judge them and we forget where we came from, right? Never forget where you come from. Don't dwell on it. Don't stay there. Just remember, you're here because of the love and grace of God. Amen? So as we walk humbly, it will enable us to walk with gentleness. Humility is an attitude and gentleness is an action. It is strength under control. Jesus says it this way, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. We must be gentle towards one another. Much like what is taking place in the political realm today, right? It's horrible. Horrible. It doesn't matter what side you're on. It's horrible. We're not being gentle towards one another. And sometimes as Christians, we'll raise our banner and we'll fight for what we believe and for this political party or that political party and we're not gentle about it. And it turns the world off. The opposite of gentle is to be ruthless and brutal and abusive and foul and harsh. Folks, this never brings about unity 
in the body of Christ or within the world. When the world sees how we act towards one another and towards those who we don't always see eye to eye to, that is what's going to give honor and glory to God. When we walk before others humbly and with gentleness, but also we walk with them in patience. I would talk about patience right now, but I don't have time, so we're just going to move on. <laughs> so we've got to move fast. All right? My time is running short. Oh, you know what's good news? The clock is not working. Yeah, I'm not so sure that's good. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just going to apologize up front, okay? Um, hopefully, we'll make it before they run out of sidecar donuts, all right? And if it gets really bad, there's a ton of candy back there. Just load up on sugar, and we'll get it through the afternoon, right? But it's hard to be patient when we live in a culture, especially that's so fast-paced, on the go, 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 from microwaves to computers to cell phones at the tip of our fingers and a snap of a button, right? And we're just not patient. My wife and I were blessed to go to Hawaii last week. I'm not sending pictures of me in a Speedo, so you're okay. We, We don't have them on the slide. But we're driving down the road, and I'm looking at my phone. Because I'm getting text messages, and I'm trying to answer. And, and my wife's looking at me, you know, you're on vacation. And I just had to set it down. I, I said, John, what are you doing? So you're missing the mountains. You're missing the ocean. You're missing all that green stuff. And I just needed to catch my breath. Patience is hard for me. I love patience when it's for other people. But I'm going to ask you one question about patience. Is God patient with you? If your answer is yes, as it was, then be patient with others. I stopped praying for patience because he creates way too many opportunities, right, for that. (laughs) They're never good opportunities in my view. But patience allows us to grow and allows others to grow. Sometimes it is better if we just let things work themselves out than trying to fix everything. Let God do His thing in His time. Don't feel that you have to fix everything. Because maybe God just wants us to grow. Or maybe He wants the other people to grow. So we must be willing to wait on God's time. But make sure that you're patient in that process. And this allows us to walk in forbearance with love. Tolerance is the action side of patience, which reaches out in forgiveness, in love. Unless you forgive, you can't be forgiven. But make sure you're forgiving from a place of love and from a place of knowing that you've been forgiven. Anyone done a sin that they said they would never do before, right? For the umpteenth million time? Does God still love you? Is he still forbearing with you? We need to be the way, same way towards others. Especially between our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also especially towards a world that doesn't know him, that haven't embraced his love and his grace. They don't know what that's like because all they've gotten is resentment and bitterness and anger and attacks, right? 
Let's walk in a way that gives honor to God by being forbearing and forgiving people from a place of love. And let them see God work in us and through us. That is what gives honor to God. Then the next slide is being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Walk in unity. That's what Paul's talking about in this from here in the book, is to be able to walk in unity as one. But we need to be diligent about it. It's not just going to happen on its own. It's something that we have to seek out to be diligent in our unity with one another. Just showing up here on Sunday is not going to make us unified. And we're not talking about uniformity and conformity here because we're going to disagree with one another, right? It's okay to disagree but do it agreeably. We can agree to disagree until the Lord shows us that I'm right, right? (laughs) Then we'll be good. That's a lot of people's attitude. It's not about right or wrong. It's not about winning. I've seen people pick up their toys and leave the church because things weren't done the way they wanted it to be done. They didn't sing the songs that they liked. They didn't do things the way that they thought they should have been done and so they just leave the church and not once did they seek unity in the matter not once did they consider the other person's thoughts or feelings and how they look at things and how they maybe worship i mean there's a big conflict within churches a lot of time about worship as we get older we don't like the loud music right right and it just overwhelms us drums all that kind of stuff as we get younger and when we're younger we're going this is cool i can get this speaks to me, all right? And these songs speak to me. That's the language that I, that I know. And the old people were going, what the world are they saying? This doesn't make sense. Give me the old rugged cross, right? On a hill far away. Well, most people want me to sing on a hill far away, but, you know, we love those old songs because that's what we grew up with, Right? But we got to speak the language of our culture today. But we also got to honor the old and the new, right? And trying to have that balance, I'm telling you, church, is hard. But what if we sought out to do this in unity and in love? Appreciate how younger people love their music and how it speaks to them. And how this is how they talk to one another. Besides texting, <laughs> they really don't talk to each other, but they're texting, Right? But this is how they, this is their language that they speak. And we get comfortable in the music that we like because that's how it spoke to us when we were younger, when we, when we were their age. So let's honor, let's appreciate that they can worship this way. And young people, let's appreciate how the older people, what they grew up with and how those songs speak to them. I know when I've done funerals and uh, and the people that are older that are passing away and they sing these old hymns and you see p- people crying because those hymns have spoken to them and they still speak to them. Unity is not conformity or uniformity. It's about loving each other and appreciating where each other comes from. And so this is what peace is all about and that's why we walk in peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. Peace does not come naturally. We must be a people that seek peace over winning. The goal of peace is not, like I said, conformity or uniformity. But peace is the result of walking in humbleness 
by being gentle, by being patient with each other. It comes for bearing with each other in love and to bring about a spirit of unity. It tells us we must be unified. We must be one. And then Paul goes into, we need to be one. Seven times he says, one. You think he thinks it's important about what he's ready to list and what we need to be unified on? He says we need to be one body. And the body is the church. The body is who? Say, I'm the body. I'm the body. Whether I'm short or tall. Thin or not so thin. Hair or no hair, right? We're the body of Christ. All gifts, all abilities. Look around you. None of us are the same, except for Eric and I. I know that's hard to keep us apart, all right? I'm John. That's Eric down there. But we're all different. God made us that way. He created us that way for a purpose. But we're one body in Christ. And it's not the building. It's the people. We're the body of Christ because of the salvation of Jesus Christ, because we are in Him. And because His blood cleanses us and makes us one. I've worshipped in churches. I don't want to say in churches. I've worshipped with churches on the beach, in the park, in the jungles of Haiti and Cambodia and Vietnam and Cebu and in the lowest parts of Mexico. Guess what? We're one. They love Jesus. They've been covered by the blood of Jesus. And we're the church together. Amen? And it's through one spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that calls us and convicts, that leads and that guides and abides in every believer. That one spirit, the Holy Spirit, calls us to him. And that gives us the one hope that there's only salvation in Jesus Christ and there's no one else that there's salvation in. There's no other name where we receive eternal life. And that gives us hope. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's not some Greek mythology. It's not in the things that we possess or the power that we have that gives us hope. The only hope that we have is from Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen? And it's this one Lord. It's not you. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He rules and He reigns forevermore. And He came to show us what God is like and to explain God and to show us what our purpose is and that is to love God with everything that we've got, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love one another. That's what God's called us to do, to be one in. That's what makes us one. When we love God with everything that we've got and we love one another, this all comes through one faith in Jesus Christ who saves, who redeems, who forgives. And it's through one baptism that when we died to self, when we were buried in baptism, we came up out of that baptistry grave, we came, what? New. New creatures in Christ. We were clothed with Christ. We put on Christ. We received the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of our sins. And God adds us to the church, to the family of God. Amen? And so we have one Father and one God. There's no other God. He's not distant. He just didn't put us on this earth and says, you're on your own. But He gave us free will. Free will to love, unfortunately free will to hate. 
free will to do good and free will to do evil. Free will to follow or free will to disobey. But he is a father that we can come to him and say, Abba, Daddy. That we can go to in our toughest of times, in our hardest of times, and in our joyous of times. And he says, come have a talk with me. Come talk to Daddy. Because the door is always open. You're always welcome. And you'll be right next to me. Because I'm your father. Notice Paul mentions the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Trinity, the unity. And he calls us to be unified as one. So we honor God by being unified in the core fundamental truths. One body, one church, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one Father, one hope, one baptism. All of this unites us as one. Amen? And it's not whether you're paying, playing with instruments or not playing with instruments. It's not whether how many times you take the Lord's Supper or what name is on that building. We are one in Christ Jesus. We are one church in Him. And when we come together and we honor one another, they might see some things differently and look at the Scriptures, but when we're rooted on those seven fundamental ones, we're one. And the good news is we're not alone in this. I'm, I'm almost done. Hang on there. Next slide. Because he gives grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, the, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Paul's using Psalm 68, 18 here. As David talks about God's victory over Israel's enemies, and they receive gifts from the people, the army that, are, that is victorious, receives spoils from the enemy in which they had defeated. Here Paul says Christ has came down and was victorious over sin and death through his what? His death, burial, and resurrection. And he ascended and he gave us gifts, spiritual gifts to be used to further God's kingdom. Not just to have and say, okay, you got a spiritual gift and not use it. But to take the gift that God's given you and to use it for the glory of the kingdom and to spread the kingdom of God wherever you are. The Holy Spirit has given us gifts as a family and to build up the family of God to you and me. We are his hands, his feet, and also his voice to a broken world that does not know him. We give, he says he gives gifts to men. I want to encourage you, because of our time, to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans 12, 1 Peter chapter 4. There it goes into more detail about the gifts and the, the variety of gifts. In 1 Corinthians, the next couple slides is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all things. Isn't that awesome? Same Spirit, same Lord, same God, but everyone's different. Everyone's been given something different. Every gift comes from the Spirit. And God distributes every gift out to who He wants. Now, unfortunately, God did not give me the gift of singing. I'm, I'm a little resentful and bitter towards that right now. But I appreciate the praise team that was up. You guys are awesome. 
You've been blessed with a gift, and you've used that gift to uplift and edify us. Amen? And we appreciate that so much. But the challenge is not the gift or knowing how many gifts you had or what gift you have. The challenge is, are we going to use the gifts that God has given us? I've talked to a lot of people in the church. And I'll ask them, so what's your gift? You know what the overwhelming response I get? I don't know. Right? I don't know. I think mainly because we feel that we don't have spiritual gifts. We see the list in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, word of faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, discernment, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, show mercy. I'm going, I ain't got any of those. <laughs> I'm in trouble, right? I don't think this is the complete list that Paul is trying to say. He's not just listing out all the gifts, but he's giving you an idea. But some of these gifts God has given to certain people and no gift is more important than any other gift. He goes on and explains this about the body, about the church being the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears, right? Most people think their gift is the gift of the mouth.